The average age of American has gone up dramatically over the last several decades. With this demographic shift has come a greater emphasis on aging well. That is where the Connecticut Age Well Collaborative comes in. Delegated by the Commission on Women, Children, Seniors, Equity and Opportunity, it aims to foster communities that are equitable and inclusive to the advanced in age, and especially for those living with Alzheimer's and dementia. Joining us today is Alyssa Norwood, Director of the Collaborative, to talk about her group's charge and best practices for towns and cities to invest and inspire. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. The Municipal Voices, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities podcast, in collaboration with WNHH LP 103.5 FM. I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice podcast continues to present a key forum on important state local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders. Alyssa, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. The Connecticut Age Well Collaborative is a fairly new organization. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Sure. Um, so the Connecticut Well Collaborative, it's, I'm going to say it's new and it's not new. So the organization was founded in 2020 to help towns become more aging, dementia and disability inclusive. But this is work that has been happening internationally since 2007 and in Connecticut since 2013. We're, so we're excited. We're, we're a decade into this important work. You said that it's international. Are there other groups similar in other states around here, or is this kind of one of the first ones in you know, the United States? Yeah, so I guess the story begins. I mentioned in 2007, the World Health Organization noticed that population demographics were shifting in really unprecedented ways. And the way that's manifesting now, Japan is the first country in the world such that a third of its population is over the age of 65. So people are living longer and healthier lives than ever before. We've never seen anything like this. In 2040, the United States is on track to have its age 65 and older population as a proportion of the population exceed its 18 and under population. So recognizing that this is an unprecedented time in human history, towns needed to get ready for what that meant. So the World Health Organization launched this international effort, which at the time was called the Age-Friendly Cities Initiative, and it really rippled around the world. And Connecticut was a pretty early adopter um, compared to other states, but now most states, um, either at the local, regional, or state level, are thinking about aging, dementia, and disability inclusivity. So we're excited to have a lot of peers across the country that are all um, engaged in work together. Really cool. Yeah, I know I recently saw that article, I think it may have been in the Times about China's aging population and how, you know, historically populations, you know, a pyramid is supposed to be a pyramid with, you know, less older people at the top and then it goes out and now a lot of countries in China, Japan are kind of have this shape where there's lots of old people and not so many young people to take care of them. It's yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned this idea of taking care of them. I, I had the privilege of going to yeah. the American Society on Aging Conference, and the mm -hmm. keynote speech was called Ending Ageism and Ableism Together. So mm -hmm. I'll I'll labor, label myself. I'll begin by saying we're all ageist. It's it's mm -hmm. unconscious. Um, we we don't even know it. But, um, you know, this idea of taking care of older adults, it just sort of rolls right off the tongue. But mm -hmm. um, it's really been great learning for me to pause and think about how how many of us don't need care and that we have this really baked in 
presumption that that older adults are a population we need to take care of where um, we're all aging. It's our shared, it's our collective journey. And um, and we're, we all have the opportunity to to be engaged in thriving and, and don't necessarily all need care. So I just wanted to make sure we, 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 yeah. we disrupted. Yeah, I, I, and, and my great aunt Lib was still driving us to, and taking us out to lunch well into her 90s. So that's, right. that's we all have those great stories. True. But they do have you know some needs that are, are unique as, as we get older, certainly you know some medical needs and things like that. According to uh, your Connecticut Healthy Aging Data Report, we are one of only four states in the nation that have uh, extensive data available for healthy aging. What goes into building that report and why don't more states do it? Um, so, you know, part of it is we're just lucky that we have great partners, and um, that includes both academic partners and philanthropic partners that are investing in making sure we have great information. So that report was created in partnership with the Gerontology Institute um, of the Graduate School of Policy and Global Health at University of Massachusetts. So they are engaged in that same work again, actually, and are going to be releasing the newest data report within most likely the next two years. And that work was funded, as is ours, by the Point32 Health Foundation, which is a, um, a merger of Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Foundation and the Tufts Health Plan Foundation. And they're one of the only funders in the Northeast that's really deeply committed to looking um, through this aging lens. So it's really is a result of not necessarily more importance here than anyone else, just more investment and, and attention. So we're really grateful for that. Yeah, we're really lucky to have that in Connecticut. Can you talk a little bit about aging? We mentioned earlier that some other countries like Italy and China um, are aging quicker than they expected to. Um, do we know why and how this kind of trend happens in countries? Yeah, um, you know, for, for lots of good reasons. And I love, there was an earlier question where you talked about how you, you used we, right? So this idea, aging, we're all, we're all doing it. It's this, it's this great, um, space of conversation because it's it's universal right there's no there's not one of us whose minds and bodies aren't changing so there are a lot of societal forces that are shifting demographics as they are i mentioned one um, part of it is just a space of celebration in spaces of public health, in healthcare, in um, deeper understanding of our environment and its impacts on health, and all of those things kind of converging at this moment where we're all living longer and healthier lives than ever before in human history. So that coupled um, with decreasing numbers of children being born for a variety of of reasons at this moment in time have resulted in this this shift in proportionality. So um, it's it's interesting to see the unfolding of that since this is a, a new time in human history. AgeWell is, as an organization, is more kind of practical and theoretical. Um, you think about how to handle the repercussions of an aging population. What are some of the factors that help, that can help with, to access, uh, you know, equity and inclusion? Yeah, so, you know, at, at the most fundamental level, we're all seeking a sense of belonging in our communities. And it's easier for some populations than others is the reality. And it shouldn't be that way. We all should be able to have um, equal opportunity to thrive regardless of age or ability. So the World Health Organization's framework really was the foundation um, of our work. So there are a number of different ways and lenses to, to look at livability. So those include, you know, access to, to affordable and accessible housing or transportation, irrespective of our ability to drive, our ability to socially participate and engage. And each one of those in every other area 
necessarily you have to look at it with an equity lens because for all of us to to thrive and to have the best Connecticut communities we can, everyone's contributions uh, need to be welcomed and celebrated, and we all we all need equal access to to be our best selves and to make our communities the best they can be. I know you're releasing a series of guides that are aimed at towns and cities. Your first guide was Fostering Aging, Dementia, and Disability Inclusivity, which came out, I guess, in November. That's um, right. What role do municipalities play in helping as we advance in age? So, oh gosh, there's so many different ways that municipalities are really at the center of this. So I guess I'd start by saying that town governments are powerful and respected change agents, and they have a lot of ability to to not just effectuate change as town governments, but also to inspire other institutional change. So that's a starting point. Um, and when we think about age and ability-based equity and inclusion and the role of municipalities and the benefits to municipalities, you know, improved decision-making, um, you know, helps us all by making sure that we represent all rev residents. It makes sure that we can equitably allocate resources. It makes sure that we um, deepen trust among residents and that we improve health. And I think probably one of the most interesting things is there was a study done a number of years ago by the Knight Foundation that showed that towns that have a, a greater focus on equity um, and really help residents deepen their emotional connection to community actually demonstrated higher rates of economic growth and more prosperity. So there are all kinds of good reasons, um, including yeah. the fact that, that towns fare better um, on all levels, not, not just in terms of resident connection. Yeah. Are there any projects in Connecticut that a, a municipality has done that kind of stands out to you as like a success or, you know, a real to be, you know, celebrated? Yeah. So, you know, your, your timing of that question is auspicious because as an organization, we decided that lots of great things are happening in the state and that they needed to be lifted up and recognized. And so on April 26th, that the state capitol will be handing out our first ever Wellspring Awards, where we'll be honoring four Connecticut communities for their excellence in helping foster grading, aging, dementia, and disability inclusivity. So the Ford awardees, one of them is um, class They've been engaged in a multi-year effort um, to create an initiative called Age-Friendly Glastonbury that really embodies everything that I've talked about, looking um, at what, what makes Glastonbury great and how to lift that up and make sure that it's accessible at every age and life stage. Then there's Groton, which has the best named senior center ever. They're called Thrive 55 Plus. Um, so really trying to, to rebrand and celebrate aging as a process. There's some interesting studies um, that show the word senior is associated with less competence. Um, so, you know, again, that these negative stereotypes. And then um, Connecticut Central State University was the state's first age-friendly university. So we'll be celebrating their efforts. And then finally, <clears throat> the town of Southington has been doing a lot of um, work very focused on dementia to help uh, celebrate residents at, at all stages as they experience cognitive change. So lots of great work happening, and we hope that we'll see folks there to celebrate and learn more about all the great examples. That is really cool. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes the se word senior has, you know, some implications for people. Is there a trend away from calling things senior centers? Is there, 
you know, a, a new way to look at them and, and to talk about them? Yeah, you know, there's a national debate, and I think each community needs to make its own decision. There's a lot of brand and name recognition around the phrase senior center. And then there's also data that shows that most older adults don't identify with the word senior or like to be called senior. So I think more than the cascading language, which is always changing and evolving, is more just confronting ageism head on so that we don't have to worry about the words that we use and we're simply just celebrating people regardless of how old they are. I know another guy that's going to come out this year is going to be called Celebrating Vitality and Promoting Inclusivity in Our Communities. And in there, you talk about some really interesting concepts like uh, the mythology and glorification of youth, uh, the shifting definition of retirement, and how that is related to ageism and ableism. Can you talk about some of those concepts? Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's so much to unpack in there. So there are a lot of thought leaders nationally, and one of them is an academic named Tracy Gendron, and she wrote a really great book. It's called Ageism Unmasked. If there are any uh, librarians listening or others that um, run book groups simply in people's living rooms, it, it's, a, it's a good read and a good conversation. But, you know, she, as best as she can, and I'm not going to do her justice, but she really looks historically at, you know, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where we have this pretty narrow conception of what constitutes somebody who's valuable in society? So she points to a lot of different reasons. Um, one she gives is the rise of the Industrial Revolution and how there were these long-held perceptions of older adults as learned professionals and tradespeople, often in agrarian settings, and families started to break apart as younger adults would move away from these multi-generational um, farm settings and begin working in factories. And that was really the beginning as those younger generations started um, adapting to faster paced technology. Um, and there was this disruption of the extended family structure that these shifting roles and responsibilities um, really led us to start normalizing age and disability-based segregation. If people needed additional supports, um, we, we walled people off from society and from intergenerational opportunity. We created professionalized caregiving. So, um, you know, this, this, this whole shift and change happened. And then interestingly, retirement became a life stage. And I really enjoy her framing. She talks about, you know, if you, if you go to a party and you ask someone, well, what do you do? And somebody gives the answer, I'm retired. That's not, that's not a life stage. It's, um, it's defining somebody by who they used to be. You know, I am, I am now someone who doesn't work really means I'm someone who used to work, but it's not embodying now. So there are all these really interesting forces at play. So um, my favorite phrase rather than retirement that I heard recently is mm. one of renewment. So when oh. we leave, when we leave one life stage, right, we're really renewing, we, we're reinventing, we're rebirthing ourselves. Yeah. So um, may it may it be that, um, you know, we all are lucky enough to retire, speaking of equity, um, yeah. economic security, is such that m many of us have different access to being able to retire. But when we do, that it's not a time of retirement, but it's a time of, of new opportunities. Yeah. I know my grandfather you know, didn't need to work, but he chose to, you know, well into, you know, his later years, uh, he got, you know, a job at the local deli, just making sandwiches in the morning, just because he loved to, you know, talk to everybody in the neighborhood and make them food. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any yeah. any research that shows that you know it's a good idea after a life of prof, you know professional engagement to suddenly stop completely and um and be on vacation for the rest of your life so. or whatever, yeah. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. So you mentioned before the um the Thrive 55 in Groton as being, you know, a really standout center. Could you talk a little bit more about them and what, you know, how they're an inspiration to other towns in the area? Yeah, so I I mentioned that they went through this really um, introspective process that led to their rebranding. So again, you know, back to your question of what should senior centers be called, I think it's it's less about the outcome of that process and more mm-hmm. about the deep look in the reckoning around mm-hmm. well who we are and who do we serve and how do we want to be seen in the community. So I think there's a lot of value in in the process that they went through. Um, and in addition, they really, in my experience. And I wish they were here to speak on behalf of themselves. I'm speaking about them. Um, But they're very interdisciplinary in their Mm -hmm. thinking. And they understand that uh, to work in a siloed space doesn't serve anyone. So I talked a little bit about dementia as one of our focus areas and cognitive change. They recognize that there are deep ties to other populations um, that are also experiencing cognitive change that maybe don't have dementia and maybe aren't even older, but that there's real opportunity for partnership um, because we're all stronger together. So I, I really value the the way they see the world and hope folks will come and hear them share their story. And it'll also be in our third municipal resource guide that we're releasing later this month. Yeah, so the state of Connecticut actually received money. They were one of only a few states from the CDC to create a statewide plan mm-hmm. on Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And we and a number of other partners had the privilege to help the Department of Public Health inform that plan. So um, it's two wings of a bird. So there's a lot of emphasis and conversation on mm-hmm. brain health, which makes sense. Dementia is yeah. scary. So people want to know, well, what can I do? Um, but the other half of the conversation is around our systems and our environment. Environment and what mm. can we do um, to provide opportunities for stimulation? And do we mm-hmm. do we do we build walkable neighborhoods where um, people at all ages and stages can feel safe being out in mm-hmm. the community and have those kind of spontaneous social interactions um, and engagement that it's a lot harder to come by if we're all just driving in our cars? Um, yeah. And then inevitably, no matter what we do, some of us will experience dementia and Mm -hmm. to, as a society, celebrate and embrace the fact that we all have continuing opportunity to be Mm -hmm. contributors and change agents and that um, life continues after a dementia diagnosis and that that we can successfully live with dementia. One other fun thing, Uh, you have a theme song called We Age Well. Uh, What inspired the idea to incorporate music into the Academy? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. So I feel like everyone, myself included, entered the post-pandemic world Mm -hmm. with an incredible amount of online fatigue and gratitude. It's the way that we all engaged. But when I mapped out the series, I just thought to myself, you know, with all of these hours of time that we've spent engaging online in this Mm -hmm. way, what could make this exciting and special? And I feel like the arts are really integral part of the way that Mm -hmm. we all live and thrive. Some of us as artists ourselves, certainly all of us as 
consumers. We we need we need the arts the way we need food, even if we don't know it. It just feeds our souls. Um, so this idea of having a musical theme just came to me. And mm -hmm. Jeff McQuillan is this tremendously talented composer, musician, storyteller, teacher. I mean, he's really a chameleon. He does it all. Um, and he's also beloved by his students at the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts. So when I learned, in addition, that he was a former Connecticut state troubadour and himself, oh. um, an, an aging older adult here in Connecticut, and we met, it was a really natural fit. So mm -hmm. he, um, he was commissioned, and through a process of a lot of reckoning um, with what it is to come up with lyrics that tell the story yeah. of what it is to age well in Connecticut, we produced this fun song. In Connecticut, we age well, we age well, we all can. In Connecticut, we age well in every town across the lifespan. We all gather wisdom. In our open hearts, growing stronger when we all belong. Opportunity in community, including everyone, is where it starts. In Connecticut, we age well, we age well, we all can. In Connecticut, we age well in every town across the lifespan. Got complete streets we can get around Housing choice and public space abound Join our progress toward equity Deep connection and inclusivity Visioning the future We listen and we learn Let's go where we grow all life long When we feel seen, you know we're shining bright When we honor choice, we know we're living right Follow all, to chart systems change To make places we can thrive We'll plan our zone together, dancing every season is good, it's so good in Connecticut, we age well, we age well, we all can. In Connecticut, we age well in every town across the lifespan. In Connecticut, we age well, we age well, we all can. In Connecticut, You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. I know you're doing an AgeWell Academy. Can you tell us a little bit about the Academy and what that program is like? 
Yeah. So, and it's a, it's a space of excitement and celebration in terms of our partnership with CCM. So mm -hmm. all municipal staff and local elected officials can participate in the Connecticut Conference and Municipalities program for continuing mm -hmm. education credit and get recognized at the end of the calendar year. So we decided, well, what would it look like? You know, colleges offer majors. What would mm -hmm. it look like if we kind of offered our own little concentration in these issues of aging, dementia, and disability? So it's a um, it's a multi-part series offered over the course of 2023 and individuals Very that cool. attend five or more of our sessions um, will get particular recognition at the end mm. of the year that they not only completed their credits, but that they did so with a focus in this area. So they're and, uh, um, they're certified CCMO, certified municipal official thing at, with a concentration in uh, aging studies or what, what, what it was going to say on the certificate, you think? Yeah, I, it, it, it'll be a surprise because we're yeah. still figuring it out, but. It'll sound good, whatever it is. What is, is there one thing that you wish other people knew about aging, about those already in advanced age, what would it be? So I say this with humility because I myself am only 41 years old. So there's a lot that I, I don't know yet about the continuing unfolding of the aging journey. But what I know of it so far is that so much of the negativity around aging is really a story um, and that there's tremendous opportunity to us to continue to thrive, to grow, to, to access deeper levels of wisdom and opportunity. So I guess the one thing I would say is to not fear our future selves and to really celebrate and trust that whatever inevitable challenges arise, because that's part of the nature of change, um, that by and large, the reports are that life only gets better. So the story is one of optimism. I agree. Um, you've talked about a lot of you know different programs and stuff. Um, if people are listening at home, what, what can they do? How can they get involved? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So I guess I, you know, from my organization's perspective, I'd start by encouraging folks to sign up for our remaining Age Well Academy events. Mm -hmm. It's a place not just of us sharing information, but also connecting across Connecticut with like-minded individuals and organizations who care and are passionate about this. Um, the second thing that I do is encourage folks, if you're in town government already, um, and if you're a resident to contact local government and mention that you care about this and that it goes deeper than just services. So if you say the word aging, most people will, in a knee-jerk kind of way talk about nursing homes or senior centers or Meals on Wheels. And those are all critical and important parts of the aging services system. Um, but our organization is really pushing the conversation to a deeper place. You know, are, are your planning and zoning officials thinking about aging? And as new housing decisions are made, you know, does the housing stock support someone who's lived in a single family home with bedrooms on the second floor their whole lives that suddenly might reach a life stage where the stairs aren't possible? Um, is there enough room in town for those folks to continue living and aging in the community in which they maybe have raised children and spent their whole life. Um, you know, we all um, live in a little bit of denial and don't recognize that 
forget about sort of normal aging, but that at any moment, our abilities can change. Um, so just being really mindful and planful because 70% of Connecticut's housing stock is single family with bedrooms on the second floor. And um, that's not the kind of housing we need. In fact, a, a really uh, compelling study done by the Centers for Housing Opportunity found um, that within affordable housing stock, which we, we we need a lot more of in this state, a third of those units need to be built to be accessible, um, meaning that if our, our body or mind function change, that they could be navigated with an assistive mobility device without stairs. So the, the reality of the Connecticut that we've built and the systems that we've have that we have doesn't match the reality of what we need now and definitely not what we're going to need in the future. And I think that's a good way to lead into our last question here. We always kind of like to end looking forward. Are you optimistic about the future of Connecticut, about aging issues in Connecticut? Yeah, I'm optimistic. I think because we've been, um, I mentioned, you know, in some level doing this work for a decade now, in 2013, Connecticut passed something called the Livable Community Statute. If anyone gets really excited about looking at statutory language, it's section 17B-420A. Um, but, you know, for a decade now, we've really kept our eye um, on, on the prize, which is creating places where we can all grow up and grow older, um, and that we can embrace change and not worry that our communities won't have a place for us. So there's a lot more work to do, but I'm pleased and proud to be part of one of the, the first states who really identified this as a key issue. Yeah, it sounds like we're in a better position than a lot of other states for us all to hopefully age well together. Well, Alyssa Norwood, thank you so much for speaking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. This was fun. I appreciate you giving time and space to this. We'd like to thank our guest, Alyssa Norwood. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH 103.5 FM. Kevin Maloney is our executive producer. Christopher Gilson is our producer. Harry Draws is on the boards. And I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like, and watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page. 